We've been um, picking up this theme called Breathe over the last little while. We want it to be our theme for the year. As a pastoral team, we've had a big think about, like, what, what should our main focus be for the year? What sh- where should we press in? Where should we put our efforts and our energy? And, and what we came up with is the idea that actually people need to remember to breathe. There is so much going on in the world that we need to actually remember, don't hold your breath. Breathe in and ask God, where are we? What what is going on? And pause and hold that breath at the top end of that breath for just a moment and say, God, where are you? And listen. And then breathe out and say, God, where would what would you like me to do? Where would you like where are you at work? What posture shall I assume? Where shall we go? How will I be someone who diligently follows you? Breathe. And we're going to come back to that again and again and again until at the end of the year you're going to say, all right, we're breathing already. We're breathing. But at the moment, I don't know, every time you turn the TV on, maybe just remind yourself, breathe. Every time the radio comes on in the car, just remind yourself, breathe. God, where are we? God, where are you? And who would you have us be in this season? Because I suspect this is a season where we as um, just people generally um, need to stop and breathe. And for those of us who've decided to follow Jesus, we might need to say, give us a more robust faith. Give us more of a clue of who you want us to be in this season. And so that's what our topic is at the moment. It's this idea of cups of water. We want to think about what will it look like for us to bring just even, just even the slightest little thirst quencher to those people around us. But that will become clearer sooner because I'm starting with um, this Beatitudes. Uh, it's in um, the book of Matthew. And I want to take you to a place. You may even want to close your eyes for a moment and think about this. We're on the northern slopes of the Sea of Galilee. We can see it out in the distance. We're on the Chorazam Plateau. And Jesus had been busy doing all of the things that Jesus had been doing for ages. He'd been healing people and bringing people you know, back to flourishing lives and calling people in and bringing them closer and doing all of these wonderful things. And then he withdraws up a mountainside where there's some perspective he probably breathes, probably he takes a big deep breath in. And the disciples kind of gather around him, those people who chose to be his closest followers, who he'd called in close, they drew, they drew in there. But the, the crowds would have been, you know, sort of, you know, jostling for a spot to be able to be close enough to lean in and hear what Jesus had to say today because he was probably going to say something really, really important. So he's on this mountainside. And everybody's listening and there's probably that silent moment just before he began to speak and he opened his mouth and he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, 
for they will be filled. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of their righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I wonder if he, as he said those words, the disciples were leaning in and listening. But my mind goes to the people just that little bit further afield, to the people, the crowds, the people who had been trampled upon, the people who were hurting, the people who had nothing, leaning in, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, that's us. Is he saying... Blessed is us. And I wonder if like they looked at each other and went, could this be true? Could he actually be saying that, that, that those of us who are just thirsting and hungering for things to be different, that we're blessed? Is, it, is this actually for us? And I think he was. I loved the way this video picked up that imagery of like he was seeing them in his mind's eye as he said those various different things. This is what Jesus did, is he picked up the things from around him, the things that he could see, the things that he could touch, and he used them to say, this is what God is doing. These are the ones you will find in the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who have no status. Blessed are those for whom it is difficult. So... If you actually um, decided to go onto social media and look up hashtag blessed, you would find things like big diamond rings, fancy expensive handbags, um, you know, like neatly dressed, apparently well-behaved children sitting nicely on grassy slopes, <laughs> I don't know, um, beach views with their feet and their toenails painted just the right colour to contrast you know, hashtag blessed, possibly even an avocado toasted with a coffee with a little love heart in it, hashtag blessed. Okay, stuff, things and stuff. And I, I cannot tell you how more opposite Jesus's blessed are than social media's blessed. The things that social media calls blessed, they're stuff and things, they're the material Jesus is talking about other things. He is talking about people who are poor in spirit, people who mourn, and people who hunger and thirst for things to be different. Now, what Jesus isn't doing here is creating us a be attitude list, okay? Like as in attitudes one ought be in order to be counted as in or something. That's not what he's doing here. This he's describing, not telling and teaching. These are not teachings on how to be blessed. They're not instructions. They're not conditions that make God look favourably on us or things that we you know, get because we're good. Because no one's better off for being poor in spirit. No one's better off for mourning. You're just not. That's not real. You, you're not hashtag blessed when you're mourning. 
And yet Jesus says, these are the people you will find in my kingdom. These are the people who are blessed. There are examples from around Jesus that he can see that present the availability of the kingdom of God through Jesus. It shows that the kingdom of God is not something that's earned, but it's quite the opposite. It's a gift. For those people who find themselves in the kingdom, looking around, these are the people they will see. These are the people they'll encounter. So if you want to follow along the Beatitudes, this list, this example of Jesus on the side of the mountain, it's in Matthew 5, 1 to 16. You might want to open up your Bibles or open up an app and have a look and check it out. Because not only does he say, these are the people who you will find in the kingdom of heaven, but there are also rewards listed in there that these people who are blessed uh, will receive. So for the poor in spirit, or those people who know to the core of their being that they have no currency whatsoever with which to claim any spiritual status, shall I say that again? The poor in spirit are those who know they have no currency with which to bargain for any spiritual status, they are poor in spirit, they get to inherit the entirety of God's kingdom. That's enormous. That's enormous. Those who mourn will receive comfort. And those of us who have mourned, big and small, we know what not feeling comforted feels like. The meek will inherit the earth. Those who hunger and thirst will be satisfied. And I think it's that those who literally hunger and thirst, but it's also those who hunger and thirst for things to be different, for this world to be not um, unjust. Those people will be satisfied. The merciful will receive mercy. And the pure of heart, they will actually see God. The peacemakers will be called children of God and those who are persecuted will inherit the kingdom of God. So what is this idea of kingdom of God? So when a king governs the people, there is the kingdom. And if Jesus is the king, where Jesus governs, there is the kingdom. Does that make sense? That's what the kingdom of God is. So in the Bible, it might use the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God interchangeably. And Jesus is telling the people, the kingdom of God is here. He's opened it up and it's like this. It's actually, it's probably some mathematical term for the, when the graph goes like this and opens right up. You know, he, he's actually saying the kingdom of God has broken in right here and now. The king governs here now. And it will open up on into the future until it opens up in all fullness. That's what the kingdom of God is. And it's open to everyone. Remember, these blesseds don't qualify you for the kingdom of heaven, but they certainly don't exclude you. And that was probably news for the people listening. Because the people listening in probably thought they were excluded because that is what life had taught them. I'm sorry, but the clever, well-to-do people who've been rewarded richly are therein, but the other plebs aren't. And Jesus is saying, no, 
No, no, no. Actually, when it comes down to it, when you go looking, the people you will find in the kingdom are these people. And he's turned it on its head. I wrote this line, repent for the kingdom of heaven is now one of your options. As opposed to repent so that it might become an option. Does that make sense? It's, it's a little bit of a turn. Repent for the kingdom of heavens is now one of your options. As opposed to repent so that it might become an option. I think one of the things that I was thinking about as I listened to this is um, there are some of us who might actually exclude ourselves from this. We might hear the kingdom of heaven is opening up and we might exclude ourselves. And Jesus doesn't exclude anybody. So something I was working through a while back is I realised that an internal narrative inside me, I'm not the only one that has internal narratives that need correcting, I know, (laughs) but an internal narrative in me. Actually, if I'm really honest, I had this feeling that Jesus snuck me into the kingdom and God was just tolerating it. You know that whole idea of like, of course, I'm, I'm part of this. I'm part of this family. I, I kind of belong. But I've got this funny feeling that God is just like, nah, I wouldn't have done it. Jesus, I'll let you get away with it. I'll let you bring her in. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'd have done it. And, and I actually think I lived a lot of my life thinking, well, I have to be good enough. I have to be good enough. I better be good enough. I better try harder. I better be better and better and better. When actually when I read these Beatitudes... I go, ah, actually, there is no better that counts that gets you in. And actually, if the truth be told, I had to do some deeper inner processing where I had to sit down and have a conversation with God and say, God, I, I, feel, like, I feel like Jesus snuck me in and you're not real happy with it. And God said, you know I'm him, Right? You know, me and Jesus, we're one. He doesn't do anything without me. And I had to kind of rethink that and re-understand that. And so when I read these Beatitudes, I hear Jesus standing on a hillside, almost a bit like Oprah, going, you get the kingdom and you get the kingdom and you get the kingdom and you get the kingdom. So don't for one minute think that the kingdom of God is not for you or could possibly somehow have a set of rankings that excludes you because it's just not true. The kingdom of heaven is for anyone. Jesus does talk about some people, it's actually trickier for them to choose it, but it is for everyone. So let's have a look here. This is what he goes on to say afterwards after he's talked about that. He says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So he's talked about the people being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And then he says, let your light shine so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. He's opened the kingdom of heaven for everyone. It's a gift. Sorry, I didn't turn my page. What he's now saying to us is because the kingdom of heaven is open to everyone, we ought to pattern our lives according to these beatitudes. So before, when I said 
They're not qualifications. I said they're not be-attitudes that he's asking us to be in order to get into the kingdom, but they are attitudes that he wants us to then pursue. He wants us to recognise that we are actually poor in spirit, that none of us has the currency to barter for our spiritual um, status. Jesus alone bartered for that. Jesus alone paid for our spiritual status with his death and his resurrection. And, and he says, you ought to mourn for the things that aren't right in this world. You ought to hunger and thirst for justice. So it's like it's two sides of the same coin. They're not things that we have to be in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, but they are things that he wants us to be once we're in and we will be because we understand the great rewards of belonging to God's family. I was thinking about a time when I was really quite struck by the actions of another person. And it's not dissimilar to Magdalia's story. I was in a refugee camp on the Thai-Burma um, border and uh, we're inside Thailand and some people had had to flee and it was you know, thousands and thousands of people who pretty much lived their entire lives in this refugee camp. And I met three young girls, um, Anna, Tamlapur and Pokawa. And, and they were young students. They had decided to enrol in the Bible college so I got to meet them in this refugee camp. Um, and when you think Bible college, it's not what you're thinking. You know, they're sitting on bamboo floors in little huts you know, while it rained outside and they're poring over their Bibles. And I met these three girls and one of them said to me, why don't you come and see where it is that we live on the other side of the refugee camp? She said, I'll meet you there at such and such a time. And so I planned to be there. And I got there and I waited and I waited and I waited and I waited. And eventually she came running up a path, sort of a muddy path. And when she got there, she said, I'm so sorry um, that I'm late. And I'm like, that's okay, it's fine. And she said, I was just taking some lunch over to another person that I knew that was new to the refugee camp and I knew that he didn't have any, so I took him my lunch and then I had to get all the way back over to you. And she wasn't doing it to brag. She was just telling me what she'd been doing. And I just melted into the ground because she has nothing she waits for the, the, the trucks, the UNHCR trucks to arrive to unload food to distribute it to the refugee camp and she's taking something of her nothing and sharing it with someone else. And I say, hashtag blessed. That girl knows what it is, it is like to belong to God's family and is doing whatever she can to live out those values. If we know the rewards of belonging to God's family, then we will go about doing those sorts of things in our lives. And we better not leave it to people who are somehow more qualified or somehow more, um, more resourced or somehow more like deeply spiritual to go and do these things. Nope. We're all called to go and do these things. We're all called to go and let your light shine because remember, when Jesus was speaking, he was talking about all the people on the hillside, not just the clever ones, not just the ones who'd learned it all, he was talking about everybody and asking them to let their light shine. We're picking up this idea of a cup of water. If so much, sorry, if you so much as give a cup of water in my name. And we want to pick up that theme and talk about what it looks like to actually be people who bring whatever it is to whatever place in the name of Jesus. And we do it because we understand 
that we are just the poor in spirit and that those who thirst and hunger for right, if we actually take a cup of water to those. And we want to invite you all, and us included, to consider our posture. What would it look like for us to find moments when we can take something, something little from the richness of, of the, the kingdom of God life that we have to others? When I'm, whenever I'm at a funeral, I have this thing that I do, and it's just, my, it's just my private thing, and it doesn't matter whether I'm a close-by person or someone standing at the back just you know, being there because it's, it's the right thing to do and I want to support the people. Um, whenever it looks like things are about to wrap up, I figure out where the water is, and I get two cups of water, or maybe just one, it depends, but I get a cup of water and I muscle my way forward because chances are the person who is doing the deepest grieving is right up the front and they're cornered by dozens of people who want to care for them, hug them, hold their hand, tell them, you know, celebrate the person or whatever. And so I want to be the person who just kind of sneaks right up, muscles in, squishes my way in there, excuse me, sorry, sorry, excuse me, excuse me, and just hands a cup of water to the person because eventually, usually, inevitably, that person always says, And, and then somebody else says, oh, should we get you a cup of tea? And it sort of just stirs this thing where that, that person then gets cared for. But just that idea of sneaking in, they usually don't even know it's me. But I just kind of like to do that, to be the one. And I was thinking about this with these cups of water. We're not doing it for the glory. We're not doing it for the accolades. We're just doing it because we want to express these are the sorts of people that we are. Cups of water. Someone years ago, um, you know, and, and again, it's, it's not because it's something tangible. We're not actually asking you to take a cup of water. That's a metaphor. But years ago, I was remembering that I was, um, I think it was in a, some sort of youth or young adults thing, and I was sitting, you know, sort of on the aisle, and I have a memory of just being, like, I just felt destitute. I don't know what it was, what was going on in my life at the time, but I just felt flat. And someone came along, and as they walked past, she knew me, because it would have been weird if she didn't, but she knew me, and she said, oh, hello, how are you? And she went, and popped a kiss on my head and kept walking. <sighs> You've got no idea what that did to me. Something shifted inside me. Something gave me a, like a glimmer of hope. Something gave me a sense of deep belonging. Something lifted in me that made me think I mattered. And something in me had like grabbed onto a little bit of hope that maybe actually the pains inside me might actually be capable of being healed. She's probably got no idea she did it. She didn't do it for the glory. She just did it because that was just an expression of who she was at the time. Now, I'm not suggesting you all kiss each other. It's just weird. And nobody needs to kiss me. I give very clearly thank you, but no. But we also don't want to think that we have a monopoly on doing good. Um, we don't, because good happens in loads of places. You just have to look um, up in Queensland and New South Wales, there are armies of people picking up shovels and brooms and saying, we're going to come and serve you. So we certainly don't have a monopoly on that. But what I was thinking is, what if we as God's creation, we as humanity, we as people have got some sort of deep wiring in us that is there on purpose 
to be people who do good, people who reach out and care for one another and serve one another and offer cups of water in those moments. What if we wired that way and actually some of us might walk up and say, wow, that's a real kingdom of God thing you're doing there. What if that was the place in which we actually talked to people um, about what the kingdom of God is and what it's like? What if that was our posture of noticing it and naming it? I wonder what it would look like if we recognised that the kingdom of God opened like this with Jesus and is getting wider and wider and we actually partnered with Jesus We actually, everywhere we went, we went, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, and just pushed those thin places a little wider. What would it look like if that was what we did as people? I think it would actually change the world. I've been in contact recently, um, just over the last 24 hours, with um, some of the people from the church up in Lismore. So Lismore has been devastated by the floods in New South Wales, and I've been in contact with them saying, what would it look like if this little mob of people way down here in dry old Victoria, actually it's not real dry, but in Victoria, actually reached out and helped you. And so I've been talking to them a little bit about what it would look like and I wonder, we've just been thinking this up in the last 24 hours, what would it look like if we made a financial contribution? And so we're going to actually send some stuff out. I'm going to talk to Steve afterwards because he's no idea. But we're going to put together something where we can find a way for our church community to contribute financially because what they need is funds in a particular fund that I've got a link to so that they can take fresh water to people who've got no water. They've got no sewage, no power, no water, no food. They're getting stuff helicoptered into various places. What would it look like if we just topped up that fund and said, we're going to bring you cups of water like you've not believed before? You can't actually take a cup of water to Lismore right now. It's not what they need. But what if we actually contributed to a fund and said, this is what we're going to do. This is who we're going to be. As the guys come back up, we're going to sing in a moment. But I don't know. I wonder. I wonder if some of you might be like me and thinking, oh, I get that belonging to the kingdom thing, but I just don't think I do. There are things in me that probably exclude me. I wonder if that's something that you're thinking. Like, I, oh, look, I'd love, to, I'd love the idea of belonging to God's family and to be understood as one of his people and part of what God is doing as he opens up his kingdom um, into the future. But I don't think that's me. Then I challenge you to go back and do what I did with God and say, God, do you mean me too? Because I believe that Jesus stood on the side of the mountain and said, it's for you and 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 it's for for every single one of you and it's also for all of the people that you can think of. It's for all of your family members. It's for all of your friends. It's for all your schoolmates. It's for all of your work colleagues. The kingdom of God is for everyone. So don't exclude yourself. And you might be someone who goes, I totally get it. I know the beauty of living in the kingdom of God. I know what it's like to be his person. I know what it's like to to receive those beautiful rewards of seeing God and being comforted when I'm hurting and, and being satisfied that things are changing and shifting. Then I encourage you 
to ask God, what shall my posture be? Where, God, where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to step? Where do you want me to hand something out? Where do you want me to be generous? Where do you want me to pop a kiss on somebody's head? Where do you want me to be at work? What would you have me do? Because I think that stuff changes the world. Thanks.